Wow, what a great morning. What a way to start off our week. It's been amazing so far. What do you think about this? Zombie mania has captured the country. Yeah. Uh, pretty much everywhere you go, there's a zombie. If you go to the movies, there's chances are you're going to see a preview about zombies. There are commercials showing zombies. Even during this most recent election, there was a political commercial using zombies. And I thought politicians couldn't sink any lower. They're using zombies to attack each other in commercials. I'm not the only one that saw that, right? Did you, did you guys see? Okay, all right. Zombies are everywhere. There are games about zombies. There apparently is some TV show out now that seems to be all the rage. It's called The Walking Dead. Uh, I'll pray for you. <laughs> the Walking Dead is the most watched television show in America among people 18 to 49 years old. Yeah, almost 11 million viewers each week watching The Walking Dead. That doesn't even count those of you who are really touched in the head who are watching it on Netflix a second time. Not even counting those guys. Just 11 million viewers each week watching The Walking Dead. Now, here's the thing. In some countries, zombies are no laughing matter, okay? In Haiti, for example, the people of Haiti actually have a great fear of zombies, uh, mainly because some of their religion and the voodoo and the witch doctors, they really do uh, scare people. And, and, and people in Haiti have a, a true fear of, of zombies. But what is it about the walking dead? What is it about the zombie apocalypse that we find so fascinating? That's what I want to know. Do you believe in the walking dead? Do you really believe there are zombies? No. Are there walking dead among us right now? Metaphorically speaking. (laughs) Right you are. (laughs) Are you a zombie? Are you a spiritual zombie? Do you know people who are really dead, yet walking around on this earth with us? Yeah, there are people who are really dead that are walking around with us. And God himself says so. But the good news is God has a plan that will prevent the spiritual zombie apocalypse, as I have called it. And this morning, I've got two sections in the book of Ephesians that I want to share with you. First, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 And then we're also going to look at at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 20, as we talk about God's plan for people as we get into this series on immeasurably more. One thing I want to be very clear at is that God's plan for us is that we are not walking dead in our sins. So if you happen to fade out and and fall asleep after this part, you'll at least know that much, that, that God's plan for us is that we are not walking dead in our sin, but that we are experiencing his wonderful, marvelous, fabulous, undeniable, amazing grace. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that because of your son and because of your plan from the very beginning of creation, because of you, we do not have to be spiritual zombies. We do not have to be walking dead. Here, but that we can live life and, and live it to the full, being an, a, a reflection of you here on earth. I, th- I thank you for your word. I pray that, that it, will, it will strike a chord with us today. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Now, what you need to know about Ephesians chapter 2 is that I've broken it up into two sections, and, and both halves of, of, this, of, of Ephesians chapter 2 emphasize the same thing. 
but it uses two different examples. Verses 1 through 10 says, we were once dead and now alive. And verses 11 through 22 says, we were once aliens, but are now citizens in Christ's kingdom. And we're going to focus on the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. Um, and, and what I want, to, want you to understand too is, before we can really enjoy just how good um, God has, a, has the plan, just how good God's plan is for us, um, we need to realize and understand how bad off we were before accepting Christ as our Lord and Savior. So read with me Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Here we go. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Now, the first three verses there paints kind of a morbid picture. As for you, you were a zombie. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. The spirit who is at work in you, who is now at work in you, in those who are obedient, all of us also lived among them at one time. We gratified the cravings of our sinfulness. We followed its desires and its thoughts. We were like zombies. We, we were by nature objects of wrath. God says we were dead before coming to Christ. We were walking around on this planet, going to school, going to work, raising a family, doing the things that most people do, and we were dead. Walking corpses, if you will. Walking zombies. Now, we, the problem is we didn't think we were dead. We didn't know we were dead. We were going about our daily lives thinking we were living life to the fullest, but God says we were dead. We were walking and breathing, but we were spiritually dead. We were separated. We were cut off from God. We didn't know God. We didn't have a desire for God. We didn't have a desire for church and spiritual things. And no appeal to us. These things made no sense, probably. And just like a person who is physically dead and is cut off from this world, that person cannot hear us talk. They're unable to feel pain. They have no, no appetite for food because they are dead. And a spiritually dead person has no desire for God. A spiritually dead person has no time for church and no desire for God's word because his spiritual factors aren't working. Hence, the zombie. You see, a person without Christ is dead and separated from God. We were once like that before Christ. There are millions of people who are walking this earth today, thousands of them right here in Huntsville, who are walking around dead. Why? Because of transgressions, because of sin. It's our sin that separated us from God. Sin kills. The Bible says that repeatedly. Sin kills. And our transgressions, are, those are our willful sins, the things we, we sin on purpose, the intentional sins. You know the sign that says no trespassing, but we jumped the fence and crossed the line anyways because it didn't mean that for us. 
We've all done it. We've all rebelled against God. Sins, whether they're accidental sins or, or on purpose, the word here with accidental sins means missing the mark. Like shooting a bow, an arrow, or a gun at a target. We aim for the bullseye, but sometimes we miss the mark. And you and I know that feeling. We've all tried to do what's right, and, and we failed. We've all fallen short, and because of this, we've died. Our willful, rebellious side, though, the sin that, that as well as our accidental failures, separate us from God. And there's a, there was a time in our lives where we were walking around this earth, but we were dead. Not only were we dead in our transgressions and sins, but God says that, that we followed the ways of this world. That, that essentially, we followed Satan himself. And that we gratified our fleshly desires. Brothers and sisters, before we accepted Christ, we were hook, line, and sinker, satisfying our own desires, living for ourselves. We were going with the flow of this world, just like every other person who hasn't accepted Christ still is. And our sin has made us objects of God's wrath. Short and simple and point blank, you could say that at some point in our lives, we were headed to hell in a handbasket. This is what the sad thing is. We were created by God, for God, yet we chose, and some of us still choose today, to live apart from God, separated by silly little things like sin, which leads to death. You know, you get what Paul says here? He says, we were dead, and so is every unbeliever here or out there. CPR is not going to save us. The defibrillator machine is not going to bring you back spiritually. It doesn't work that way. Folks, dead is dead. And it will take a resurrection to bring us back. And guess what? God did just that. Verses 4 through 7 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It all hinges on that three-letter word. You were dead, but. But. It's, so, it's a huge word. Three letters, but there's so much more. It's so important. We were dead, but. But what? But God made us alive. Amen? God raised us from the dead, just like he resurrected Jesus Christ from the grave. The same power that God used to raise Jesus from the grave. I talked about that last week in, in uh, Ephesians 1, verse 20. We talked about it. He used that to raise us up from the dead. According to these four verses, we were made alive in Christ. We were resurrected from the dead, raised up in Christ, raised to walk in the newness of life, no longer a slave to sin, no longer a slave to Satan in this world, but seated with Christ in heaven. Now, we might still be on this earth right now, but we have a place reserved for us in heaven. And one day we will judge angels. Man, that's going to be amazing. Because we have been raised up with Christ. We are joint heirs with him. Why? Verse tells us because of God, or verse 4 tells us because of God's great love for us. God is love, and because He is love, He showed us mercy. Remember, again, from last week, when God shows us mercy, He's not giving us what we deserve, which is death. He's given us grace. Brothers and sisters, He loves us so much, He sent His Son, Jesus, to die for us. Jesus paid for our sins, suffering God's wrath, meeting God's justice for us.
God is love, but he's also just. See, he couldn't ignore our sins and still be just. It wouldn't work that way. So Jesus paid the price. He had no sin. He took on our sins and he died. So the requirements of the law and God's justice would be met. And with the wrath of God appeased and justice met, God can now grant us what we do not deserve in any way, shape, or form. His amazing grace. Verses 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. The saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. I wish I could sing, because I would, but I won't. My chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior, ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing grace. Brothers and sisters, we don't deserve it. We can't earn it, we can't buy it, we can't accept it, or excuse me, but we can accept it. And that's God's amazing grace. The last part of verse 8, it says it's a gift from God. Church family, we can't be good enough to get into heaven on our own. The Bible says all of us have sinned. It tells us our best deeds on our own are like filthy rags to God. Imagine what our worst sin looks like. If you're one of those people and you think, you know what, I'm not so bad. I'm all right. I've done more good than bad in this lifetime. God, God's going to let me sneak through the pearly gates on a grace card just because of that, because I've done more good than I have bad. Let me tell you, forget it. It ain't going to happen that way for you or any other person. You see, you and I and every person will be saved by grace through faith and not by works or will not be saved at all. Because of God's great love and because he is rich in mercy, he offers us his grace. We can't work our way to heaven. Understand this. Our good works can't save us. But once we are saved, God wants us to do good work. He expects us to do good work. He created us to do good work for him, not for us. And when we do good work, the work we do, the good that we do, that we does, the good that we do <laughs> gives proof to the faith that lives in us. The good works that we do are, are the evidence of the faith that lives in us. Our good works, they're like spiritual sacrifices to God. I'm going to give you a couple of verses. You need to write them down and, and look them up and study them this week. Hebrews 13, 16. Our good works are spiritual sacrifices to God. Hebrews 13, 16. The next one is 1 Peter 2, 12. Our good works are a testimony to the lost. And then Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 which I'll hit on in the near future as we go through this book. But when we use our talents and our gifts for the Lord, we help build up our church family. So look at those verses this week. Hebrews 13, 16, 1 Peter 2, 12, and Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. See how you can reflect those in your life. Our works can't save us, but they sure show that we are saved. Think on that and think about grace as we continue to unfold what God's plan is for his people we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21 here in just a second. And as you go ahead and turn your Bibles there, I have to, to shift gears a little bit. What is something, and, and just real quick, holler it out, what's something that baffles you? Just something you don't understand. Men, you could say women. <laughs> women, you could say men. See, what, what baffles you? Is there anything that just baffles you? 
Teenagers, okay. Um, somebody might be pointing to their husband right now, okay. Um, there are things that I just don't understand. Life, okay, that's, that's big and broad, you know. I don't get how, how you can push a button on a car and it'll start and the key is still in your pocket. I don't get that. It works, but I don't get it. It, it, it baffles me. There are many things that, that baffle us. And here's, here's the thing. There are things we will fully never understand on this planet. I understand there's a, a mathematical equation to why we can launch a rocket and put somebody in a space, but I just it baffles me how that happens. All right? Um, I just don't understand it. Maybe for you, grace and God's plan for your life, maybe that's something that baffles you right now. And you're just not sure what to do with it. And that's why I want to share this with you, this next part, because Paul, he wants for us, and he even prays for us, that we will grasp the scope of God's love. He prays that that we can grasp his great power that is at work within us, that it won't be baffling to us, that it won't be something we don't understand. In Ephesians chapter 1, we talk about, it talks about God's unsearchable riches and his bountiful blessings. That baffles me. Why would he want to do all that for us? Chapter 2, I just talked about his amazing grace. Uh, there's two different versions of, or two different sections in chapter 2 that talk about his grace. It baffles me. And now in chapter 3, we're going to talk about the vastness of God's love and his unending power. And when you really sit down and try to wrap your mind around it, that's just something that, that baffles me. I don't know another word to use. But God's plan is not that it's a mystery. His plan is that, that we can grasp this, that we can understand it, and that we can live it. In the first 13 verses, Paul explains how God has revealed to him and used him to take the gospel to the Gentiles in chapter 3. Paul then says that this was God's plan all along, that even the angels marveled at the mystery that God had kept hidden through the ages. And then in verses 14 through 21, he begins to pray an amazing prayer. It's, it's a lofty prayer. It's a prayer that each of us needs to pray, but I would probably say we've never have, and maybe never really had the guts to pray this kind of a prayer. We get into this. I want you to think about Paul's prayer as a, just a staircase, climbing higher and higher, each thought getting loftier and loftier. There's some weight to this prayer, and, and it's, it's amazing. In this prayer, he focuses on four things that he desires for each and every Christian to know and experience. So we're going to pick up in chapter 3, verse 14. And it's, it's Paul's prayer for spiritual strength for the church in Ephesus. Listen to this. Verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Man, what a prayer. It sure beats most of our prayers that sometimes seem to barely get off the ground. Lord, please bless this food to strengthen our bodies and the people who prepared it at McDonald's. It's so different. It almost seems like you shouldn't pray for something like that. 
his prayer soars into the heavens. It's just, it takes off and it just goes. And in his prayer, it's not focused on our physical needs. That's something that we do a lot. We, we focus our prayer on our physical needs and, and our comforts. His prayer goes right to the heart of the matter. Paul prays that we would be strengthened in our inner being. He asks that we be strengthened out of God's glorious riches. Brothers and sisters, God's treasure chest is unmatched. There's no end to God's riches. And God generously offers them to us. Let's look inside this treasure chest real quick. There's just a few. This is the list I came up with. Knowing that that his treasures are too many to count. Food, clothing, housing, talents, jobs. These are the simple treasures. I get it. Let's get to the real riches. Forgiveness of our sins. Adopted into God's family. I talked about that last week. Amazing grace, eternal life, the Holy Spirit living in us to guide us, strengthen us, convict us and intercede and transform us. Fellowship with the saints. The privilege of entering into God's throne room with our prayers. The promise of answered prayers. How's that for God's riches? The opportunity to be seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Joint heirs with Jesus. Peace and wisdom. Oh, An assurance that Christ is always with us, that we have the power to overcome Satan and temptation. How's that for riches? Are you feeling a little bit wealthier than when you first came in? I hope so. Church family, we are rich, and Paul prays that we'll be strengthened in our inner being. Paul says in verse 17, he wants Christ to settle down and make his home in our hearts. God wants Christ to have a permanent dwelling in your heart, in your life. Not a transient one, not just Christmas and Easter, Valentine's Day, but all the time. He wants our relationship to be strong, to be vital, to be reliable. That's what Paul's praying for here. For us to have an ever-deepening relationship with the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit. Man, that's rich. Church family, it is time that we go beyond just a surface relationship with our God. It's time to go deep and to let Christ truly set up his throne in our hearts. That's one of the reasons I'm excited about next year, about 2015, and the story. Because as we connect with the story groups in the community, as we learn the story of our amazing God, and we begin to go deeper, we're going to go from milk to meat, if you will, in understanding his story in our lives. Paul prays for Christ to dwell in our hearts. In the last part of verse 17, Paul uses two different words to emphasize the same point. One is from the plant world and the other is from the construction world. And, and so Paul says that we will be rooted in love. He says, rooted in love. Think of a big old oak tree. It's been around for a hundred years. The limbs are big and they just stretch out far and wide. How can this tree get so big? How can it survive so many years? It's because it was planted in good soil. And the roots of this tree go down deep and strong. Paul prays that every Christian will put down strong roots that will be planted in the best soil around in love and in, and in God's word. Paul prays for our roots to go deep. He prays that we will be established in love. The word established or grounded right there, be, and grounded in love, that, that's, a, that's a construction word. All right, When you build a house or a building, you have to lay a good foundation. You have to, you have to dig deep to get to a good foundation. If you expect that structure to stand, the foundation is the most important part of the building. If you don't go deep, you can't go high when you're building a building. The taller the building, the deeper the foundation has to be set. You've got to find bedrock. Church, Paul prays for us to be grounded and established in love. Love is the greatest of all gifts. 
1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Excuse me. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love for God. Love for family. Love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Love for our community. Love for our fellow man, regardless of color, beliefs, or nationality. It is only when Christ is at home in our hearts that the Holy Spirit can help us to love like this and to share those riches. Paul prays, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. I think Paul wants us to understand and know the love of Christ here. How wide is Christ's love? It's wide enough to encompass all mankind, people from every nation, every language, every color, every culture, including you and I. How long is Christ's love? It's long enough to reach back to the Garden of Eden and to reach forward to all eternity. How high is Christ's love? It's high enough to reach the highest heavens. How deep is Christ's love? It's deep enough to reach the lowest sinner. Jesus' love is limitless, and it will last forever. Don't ever doubt it, but claim it and live under it and enjoy every second of it. Paul prays for us to have comprehension and to have apprehension. Comprehend means to understand something mentally. Apprehend means to lay a hold of it. You know, a a monkey has a a prehensile tail. That's why I love monkeys. They they can grab a branch with their tail and hold on to it. We can't do that. Thank you. Think about this, though. Keep this in mind. I'm going to put these three things together for you. Paul prays for our mind to comprehend as well as grasp and hold on to just how much Christ loves us. Paul doesn't want us to just monkey around. He wants us to know about Christ and to know Christ fully. That's what he wants. Church family, this is where it gets hard. I can't understand it all. And you may not understand it all. There are things, like I said, that baffle us. And we we can try to understand them more and more as we grow in Christ. I believe the longer we know Christ, the more we experience Christ, the more valleys we go through, the more mountains we scale, the more our love and our understanding grows. You know, Paul prays for us to know the fullness of Christ. Because Christ can and wants to do more for us than we're ever going to know or understand. More than we can ever imagine. He lives in us and he's, he's already working within us. His love is limitless. It knows no limits. His power is limitless. It has no limits. Nothing can bind him. Have you ever stood on a cruise ship out in the middle of the ocean and, and you can't see land? Man, I'll tell you what. That, that puts something on you for a moment. When not only do you not see land, but you don't even see any other boats. And you're thinking, we're out here in the middle of nowhere. But that's not limitless. That has limit. It has a limit. Every ocean has a border. Christ has no borders. His love, who he is, goes on forever. He created it all. And the longer we serve him, the more we learn about him, the more we obey him, the more we pray to the Father through him, the more we will know this love that Paul is praying for us to have. Also, We'll be able to share this type of love that Christ has for us with others. 
The more we walk by faith, the more we trust, the more we get out of our comfort zone, the more we will see and experience the power of God in our lives. You see, God wants nothing more than to fill us with the fullness of his love and his power from death to life, from facing God's wrath to enjoying his grace. As Christians, we were once dead, but we are now alive. We were once under God's wrath, and now we are lavished with grace. We once wore grave clothes, and now we wear grace clothes. From the graveyard to heaven's gates. Man, what a contrast. What a difference grace makes. What a difference God makes. Are you still dead? Are you a spiritual zombie? Are you allowing the world to keep you down? Are you still wearing grave clothes? Are you still in the graveyard? Let me tell you, if you haven't accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are still dead. You have not yet truly experienced God's grace, and you are dead in the world. You are just another zombie walking around. But God has a plan for us. God wants to bestow his grace on you. Jesus paid the price for you. It's free for you, but it's simple. You must believe, repent, confess, be baptized in order to cash in on this gift. You must respond to God's word. It doesn't matter how many times you hear it. It's how you respond to it. As we sing our response song today, whatever you need to do so that you are no longer a zombie in this world, now is the time to do that. If you need prayer for something that that you're struggling with that's keeping you down uh, as a Christian, that's maybe keeping you separated from being what you can be for God, the elders are here and they will gladly pray with you. If if you're ready to partner with Huntsville Christian Church to, to impact this community rather than just to walk through it like a zombie with no real focus, if you're ready to exchange your grave clothes for grace clothes, the baptistry is ready. I tell you, I would love to see you buried in Christ and resurrected into the newness of life. That's God's plan. Whatever your response is, will you stand and sing with us and respond accordingly to what God has done for you today? It's been great to worship with you all this morning, but now it's time for us to go. As you go this week, remember this. Halloween is over. It's time to take off the masks and the makeup and the costumes, and it's time to be what God has planned for us to be. Watching zombies on TV may be fun, but being a spiritual zombie is a dangerous game to play. And because you know the truth, you know that God has a plan for you. You've heard that plan today loud and clear. Scripture says you'll be held accountable for what you know and for what you understand. We're no longer walking dead in our sins, brothers and sisters. We are alive in Christ. So as you go this week, live out your life knowing that God has a plan for you, and it includes being a reflection of Him. Have a great week.